Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw Audio Experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. I want to welcome you back to another episode of what I've branded Pivotal, since these interview-style segments tackle impactful CPG industry topics and lessons from the business leaders that live it every day. Many of you might know that I worked at Muscle Farm during the early 2010s. This was during the time when that sports nutrition brand had literally caught lightning in a bottle. Either you had that big, obnoxious, bright lime green MP in your kitchen cabinet, or you weren't cool. It was as simple as that. More than a decade later, I look back at my last official employer before I bet on myself with J. Shaw Consulting as this of invaluable foundational experience that I wouldn't change for anything. But few know that I left Muscle Farm with a bad taste in my mouth. My guest on this episode, though, is one of those few people because he was the co-founder of Muscle Farm. While Corey Gregory and I obviously chop it up about those Muscle Farm days, we also talk about his crazy origin story that started underground as a coal miner. Additionally, we talked about how Corey was really ahead of the curve on a lot of the content and influencer marketing strategies that are used today, and he explains why decades of consistent hard work honing his craft has led to generating several different million-dollar revenue streams. These are just some of the interesting topics that we chatted about in this episode, but without further delay, here is my recent conversation with the CEO of Max Effort Muscle, Corey Gregory. So this is a uh, special episode for me. I think one, it gives me a chance to chop it up with an old friend. We were already kind of doing it off camera. So we figured might as well just press record and start going here. And then sure. secondly, it's going to give a chance to like transport, I guess, just for a little bit um, to reminisce of like the good old muscle farm days. Um, <laughs> but Corey, honor to have you join me. I know this is like Definitely something we should have done a lot earlier, um, but you've given me your time and some of the stories, some of the insights you're going to be sharing here. I know I'm super excited about this episode. Yeah, man. Look, I've been watching you from afar and we've interacted, you know, here and there on direct message and ever since we worked together years ago. So I'm once again, I was watching some of your videos before we got on, like super proud of you, dude. You were super young when you came into our organization back in the day. And so yeah, I'm, I, this was the easy yes for me, and, and I'm excited to catch up, Josh, for sure. No, definitely appreciate that. So let's go back to like, you know, way before Muscle Farm. Um, mm -hmm. We're both Ohio guys. I think Ohio guys are just built different, um, especially like ones that came from blue collar towns. You know, I came from a old rusty steel town, Youngstown. Um, you came from a, you know, mining background, kind of that, that central south kind of east side of, of Ohio. And I want to kind of have people understand like where you came from, like why that kind of built the foundation for 
you know, where you went, because I think everything starts back in those oh, days. For sure. I think so. A couple things that were really a big deal for me growing up, if I remember one, you know, I'm a fourth generation coal miner and fourth generation weightlifter. So everyone in my family lifts weights, but they all also coal mine, which is some of them like that job. Some of them didn't like that job. Right. And when I was in the eighties, there was a lot of strikes. There was a lot of like financial hardship around those kind of, you know, that the steel towns, everything. Right. And so it was one of those things where I grew up where everyone still had a hobby that they liked and that made them feel more confident, look better, stronger, whatever. But then their actual job, they disliked, right? And then my parents separated when I was 11, so my mom was really on her own. And so then it's like, now I'm watching my mom as a you know fifth or sixth grader really struggle to pay the bills, absolutely hate what she's doing, but work a bazillion hours to still not really get a lot, you know? And so what I was really saw a lot as a kid was just an amazing work ethic towards a job that no one really liked. And so I've always thought to myself, like, what happens if I can take that and then maybe this hobby thing over here that everyone does in my family, right? Can that be applied to something I love to do? And then what I didn't realize is how many people it would help, obviously with all the content that we did back in the day. And, but that was a plus when I saw me helping my friends. I started programming workouts when I was like 14, 15 years old. I started doing workouts when I was 11 or 12 with my granddad. And so if you kind of combine those worlds of work ethic, blue collar, financial hardship, and that stress and strain, to me, it became a real like kind of thing that I couldn't get off my mind of like, I need to change this. I need to change not only the financial structure, the opportunity, but I need to then want to do what I actually like doing. And then I wasn't in my mind going to submit to this is just how it is. And I'm not really sure where that exactly came from all the way, Josh, but probably when I was about 14 or 15, I kind of made an internal decision that I didn't know how, but I was going to literally try my best to change not only just my situation, but the financial Gregory situation of how we teach things, what's up, what's possible. And I started getting onto that narrative, man, pretty young. And I just kept coming back to all the people I'd seen work so hard that I felt like they were quote unquote, you know, they should have been owed more, I guess. Really resonates with me. And honestly, like hearing you kind of describe that, like it brings me back to, you know, just thinking about how I was at that age as well. And looking at, you know, my dad that worked 100 hour weeks, mom busted her ass, you know, grandparents busted their ass. And I just was like, okay, I'm going to also understand how important work ethic is. And, and, and I'm always going to be a part of that. But how do I actually do something that I really love and what aligns with me and, and what I believe is going to, you know, whatever, fulfill me in, in a way that's above and beyond just like, you know, putting food on the table or, or shelter over, you know, my loved ones. Uh, and really, it's hard to, I guess, think about that time frame because obviously there's so many different things going on in your mind when you're a teenager, uh, you know, in, in sure. sports and, and, and girls and, and all those types of things. But like, I also really, I think, was thinking about like what was going to be my way out, I guess you could say, of like the, sure. you know, you know uh, break the chain or, or kind of get out of that. And, and it's cool to kind of hear that 
storytelling from you because I think that a lot of people maybe have forgotten that phase of their lives or, you know, whatever life's beating them down a little bit and maybe they forgot about it, but it's kind of like, you know, it's time to kind of let that out again. Now, what kind of like got you from like the actual underground minds to mm. like the fitness journey? Yeah. So this is where I think is another big key of kind of why I'm still at it. Right. So it's like, I work in a coal mine, like you said, you know, these guys are working 80, 90 hour weeks. So I kind of adapt to that process, save as much money as I can I save. Like there's like 22 or $23,000 in four months working. My, my biggest week was 93 hours. I put that in the bank. I come up to Columbus. Um, a lot of my friends were moving to go to Ohio state. Cause I had stayed the one year. Like I kind of took like a year at home after high school to work in a mine or whatever. I came up here to go to um, community college for a one-year exercise specialist certification. I knew I wasn't made for a four-year. I just knew that about myself. There's no fucking way. One, I didn't know how to pay the money back, to be honest with you. So I, I wasn't about to sign up for that debt. That's just me, like, no one giving me advice. I'm, I'm on my own at this point. Like, my parents are just surviving, right? And I'm just trying to get the hell out. And the reality is, like, when I came up here, this was, it was perfect for me. I was able to pay for school by myself. I was, I had a great teacher who actually is in my 4am crew. Now he's in his fifties, still competing in powerlifting. So he kind of locked on and, and, and took me under his wings. His name is Don Labenthal. And I had one year to kind of get that out of my system, uh, like being away from home, but also to get right. I didn't have to go to English one-on-one. I got right into exercise fizz, right into anatomy. And I was still kind of a train wreck at the time, but the reality was like, I knew I was in the right spot and it was on me. I was the one fucking paying for it. So when I got here, about nine, 10 months into it, Don says, Hey, do you want to intern at this? Uh, it was a tennis and fitness club. Actually, and I don't know shit about tennis, but he's like, I used to work there. There's a guy there that's probably making a hundred thousand dollars a year as a personal trainer that used to play at Akron. He was a DB named Reggie young. He actually was roommates with Jason Taylor, the hall of famer that went mm -hmm. to Akron that played for the doll. And he said, this guy really sells fitness. Well, I think your guys' personalities are, you know, really work together and you should go like shadow him. Josh, I'm telling you, you know, I go to school and I'm around, like, it's the first year of that program, 20 years, 20, whatever, four years ago. There's only five people in my class. So I'm the most fit person in the class. There's no other, like, there's not a, there's some older people and it was a really good group, but it wasn't like I had a bunch of classmates that were like working in the different gyms. That wasn't really the vibe. Right. So I get over there with this guy, man, he's got five people in the hour. They're sweating. They're loving the workouts. He's selling fitness well. He's energetic. And so I'm so I, I get the internship. I'm just folding towels at the gym. And I'm watching this motherfucker. And I'm just doing the numbers in my head. I'm like, damn. And he dude, we're on the east side of Columbus in Reynoldsburg. There isn't a lot of money there. He was yeah. probably charging $25, $30 a session. You know, that's where I started at $20 a session. But he started getting so good that then he wasn't giving people breaks and he was doing basically group training, but he was charging, it was personal training. So he's having four or five people an hour at 30 a pop. And I'm watching this dude 5 a.m., 6 a.m. set. He's packed. Bang, 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 bang. So I'm looking at like, all right, I just need to be consistent, learn, stay in this game, come here, do whatever I got to do. I knew he was going to have runoff. I knew it. And so before I even have a certification, I knew there's no law in Ohio that you had to have that. He had this lady named Irene. Irene was a client of mine all the way till basically I gave all my clients away when we started MP back in the day. 
and she he she wasn't serious. To me, if you're paying me $20, you're serious enough for my ass at this point, right? <laughs> so he says, why don't you take Irene? Great. Irene gives me $200 for 11 sessions. I'm teaching Irene how to do bicep curls. To me right there, I was making basically the same wage that I was as an overtime coal miner the year previously. And what's funny about that, this whole long-winded story is that I felt successful in that moment. And I think that that's maybe what's a little bit uh, different about today. I didn't even know that was, there wasn't a personal trainer I knew. I didn't know anybody that had this job. It doesn't exist in our area where we come from in those times, right? You're a little bit younger than me, but it probably didn't exist much in Youngstown when you, you were there either. So it's like, Steubenville, Caddis, Youngstown, the Ohio Valley, there's not a personal training is not a job. It is now, but it's like the reality back then was when she handed me that first check, I'm like, it's working. I'm only 20, bro. It's working. Like this isn't, this isn't an idea anymore. And so to me, that moment that changed everything for me. Cause then it's like, okay, I need 10 of these people, 20 of these people. Like that's all I needed, dude. I needed that entry point. And that's what I tell people. Like, I didn't think I was going to be some supplement guy. I hadn't competed in bodybuilding yet. I did do powerlifting when I was 17 or 18. Like, none of that should have happened yet. I did all these things after that to promote the business. But that was the entry point. And to me, if it didn't really go past that, I had already went from idea, moving away from home, working them, them you know, working all those hours underground to get to that point to then see what I was really made of and how I was going to scale it. So I've had this concept, bro, since, you know, fast forward, like six, seven months later, I have my own personal training studio, 15 to 20 clients. I opened it for $5,000, um, in a mini mall, 900 square feet before I turned 21. I'm already successful in my mind. All my homies know I got my own gym. Own gym's a little bit of a stretch. I think my studio I'm in right now is bigger than that, which is funny. This is 1,100 square feet. I think that was 900 square feet. But it's the reality was, if it never goes past that, I honestly, and I can and I can provide for my family, and I can build my little personal training studio, bro, it was more than I thought was possible. I thought it was possible, but I didn't know. All of this other stuff that I'm super proud of uh, is, is icing on the cake for me. And I think when people understand that about me, maybe they have a different view because I believe in myself. I'm always going to take risk. I'm a fucking grinder. I'm, I push. I'm disciplined. But like that, that right there to me, I was like, fucking, I already got it. Now it's like, what, what can I really, what can it really be? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think, you know, for me, that step zero, you know, not ever seeing like anybody that is at that level or, or having that person that you can kind of like emulate or, or model against other than, you know, you have that either. kind of one mentor from, a, from afar, like that one, that zero step to one step is always like the toughest one to go. But after you get to that first step and you build, I guess, confidence, I mean, 
I have a totally different story, but I think to myself, like when I moved away from Ohio and I lived on my buddy's couch in Las Vegas after college, like my back was against the wall. I didn't know a soul. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what was happening. All I knew was like, if I just got on my feet and I got going and I started to get things kind of moving and momentum going, like I was good. I was confident. I knew everything else was going to start going, but like it took a while to really get that first step. And then after that, it was like, everything else was, was, was good. I knew like, and trusted that like, as long as I bet it off, bet on myself, I knew I was going to be good. I just needed a few small wins. One of my homies, Cole Susak talks about this all the time. And it's like, my first win was I'm in the Valley. I'm stacking lumber for $7 an hour going to community college. And I, and I see him, I'm seeing no way out because I can't even get enough money to get out. First win was, can I get the job with my stepdad at the coal mine, and can I do this job? And not only can I do it, can I do it enough hours to make enough money to get me out of here? That was win number one. Win number two is finding the spot where I could, that was good for my situation, that I could afford, that the right people to teach me some of the skills I needed for this job. Win number two, and live on my own, just be out here, right? Whenever I go from... Basically, and this is what's pretty funny. The big turning point for me is I'm at that gym. I've got 12 or 15 clients over that next year. And then I was like a barbershop. I was paying rent, literally $200 a month. And I was only charging 20 bucks a session, whatever. And then this is where the real thing changed for me. Because I think I opened my uh, studio in like the summer. I turned 21 that fall. And so I was like, they wanted 30% of my money. And they want to take me out of the rent situation and take me to a 30% model. And that dude thought because I was only 20 years old, I was just going to roll over. I'm thinking to myself, motherfucker, if you knew what I had to do to get to even this point, come on, man. And I already, to me, I already believed in myself. So it was just really like basic numbers. Gee, can you afford more rent? Do you think you can scale and get more clients? Blah, 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 blah. I literally, he said that to me that day. I walked out the door. I didn't say anything to him. So, okay, yeah, man, we'll see how that goes. You know, I was like, man, fuck this motherfucker. Walk out, start driving around within a mile. I found inside a mini mall. A, they were using it as a ladder closet to hmm. rehab the building. It had ladders in it. Like they were storing paint and ladders in it. Guy wasn't even renting it. And I was like, man, what will you rent that for? And he told me, he's like, especially if you clean it up, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and that that's literally so I I you know, I took about 2 weeks figured it out. I was leaving on vacation and the guy was like, "Hey, you know, when you come back, which would have been the beginning of the month, he's like, we're starting that new model." I said, "Oh, I forgot, man. When I come back, I'm out." And I never signed no non-compete, so I'm taking all my clients with me. I'll be right down there about a mile down the street. And I you know, I told him whatever and I was like, "So I'll see you later." And then this is was also another big thing for me. He told me how I couldn't be successful. Oh, he sat me down tried to granddad me yo this person couldn't do it that person couldn't do it and mind you he was a really successful tennis coach but he was inside someone else's business i'm like bro like i'm not you i'm not that person i'm not this person i'm me you don't know what i'm willing to do i'm betting on me bro like i ain't got no safety net out here i got no choice i have to fucking win so i just told him like whatever and he Year, I saw him like a decade later and he apologized, which was really gratifying to be honest, because that was like right at the height of what was going on with MP. And he was like, yo, yeah, bro. Like I didn't even, you know, like he, 
and he was somebody I looked up to too. So all of those things were interesting in that early part of my career because of how I reacted to them. But I think I reacted to them because I knew it was working and I just needed to keep applying the work ethic and the belief. Now, if I didn't have a client, I wouldn't have been thinking that. Yeah. And it wasn't that I barely could make my bill payments when I moved in, bro. Like it was bad. But I was living like a college life. So I was all right. But it was um, those early little small wins of confidence, you know, really um, helped me a ton to think that because I did, you know, personal training from 99 till we started MP in 08. But I didn't really quit personal training people till like 2010 in, in person. So I had about a decade of personal training, you know, doing my craft. That wasn't on Instagram, bro. That wasn't. <laughs> You know, I had to try to be a good local trainer. I wasn't international Corey Gregory then. I was like, can I be good in Columbus? Can I be? So I think that's lost a lot too. It's like I had a lot of years, man, doing my craft like person to person. And then that small studio, now I might be like some skipping some steps here, but I'm trying to just kind of piece this, some of the stories that I know between us is like, I think that went into old school gym and then, you know, you were, like you said, you owned a gym, you were still doing in-person kind of training. You were trying to be the best local trainer that you could be, but like there wasn't Instagram the, you know, Facebook was just starting, um, like you know, kind of all that bro. stuff, but then bodybuilding.com, um, I think is a central theme. I think maybe in both of our stories of like how we maybe got to MP. I know we got there maybe at different times, but I think there was a central part of bodybuilding.com that maybe was like, you know, was the fitness Instagram before there was a, you know, Instagram? Yeah. So the, the way to kind of story bridges is that I bought out. Um, so I owned my personal training studio by myself, my business partner now, Dustin Myers, who's a well-renowned world renowned, like strength coach in the wrestling world. He came in as a partner, um, on the old school gym. So they were two gyms at first we had the studio and we bought the original old school gym. Then eventually I got rid of the studio and everything went to the gym. And so then we were doing personal training inside of there and building the gym business in general. 2006 is when, well, we bought the original old school gym, like 03, 2006, I was like doing shows. I've been competing bodybuilding, powerlifting, and I started sending out a lot of my pictures. And actually that was my first interaction with Jeremy DeLuca. So DeLuca actually pays me $500 for a photo and puts it in fucking ads in every magazine. And I was fucking floored, bro. And this was like one of my days where I was up at two in the morning. I'm sending all these emails out, you know, with pictures saying I can be the 180 fitness guy, do content. Like, cause I was already, so what's funny about me in 06, I was already doing online training. I had clients all over the country. I was making as much money in the gym as I was like online as I was in the gym. So I was like way ahead of that. And I was doing some consulting for multi-level marketing companies as their trainer. I was speaking at conferences that have five, 6,000 people. Like I was doing some stuff, like I was ahead of the game and a lot of people don't even know that stuff about me. So I was like high net worth MLM owner, like, you know, earners from these companies I was speaking, they were my online clients and I had them all over the world. And so like on Wednesday nights, I would do client calls and they were getting emails all week. And this is, you know, and I had it all set up almost like a personal coaching type of thing, like a business coach, but I was doing training and I was that Wednesday night, I was making the same amount of money as I was making all week in the gym. And so I started to leverage my time and start to understand I made about the same amount of money, but my time started to be more freed up to work on new projects. 
And in 2006, I also started messing around with my own protein because I already knew Dr. Eric Serrano. He was the one helping yeah. me. I met Serrano in like 2000. So I started to try my own protein, try to work on it. And it just, I didn't understand the manufacturing. I was really early in it. And then early 2000, late 2007, I'm sorry, 2007, I get sponsored by a company called Hard Nutrition, yeah. which was Pyatt's previous company. And so that's how I met Brad. I met Brad purely on accident. And, but we hit it off or whatever in 2008, he disappears for about a year. He's like in and out of the league. I don't really talk to him. And then in 2008, he, or late 2007, he kind of shows back up on my radar and just hits me with, yo, I want to start this company. You know, are you interested in working for me? And I said very like, you know, respectfully, like Brian working for nobody. I was like, I got all these online clients. These all the clients were making like 100, 200 racks a month too. Like they were heavy, like MLM people. They, they could pay me my little four or 500 a month. Easy, yeah. Right. <laughs> so I had a real secure situation going on. I'm golfing three days a week and I'm like, bro. Yeah. Like if you want a partner, then you want to like be a co like I'll be a co-founder, you know, basically. And he was like, all right. And then he started asking me like what I had going on. And I was telling him like, man, who, whatever supplements we create, I can teach people how to use them. Yeah. I can teach them the workouts. I had all these ideas early, Josh, that the content, I didn't know. I knew what bodybuilding.com was, but they weren't doing video trainers and all that shit at that time, right? But I knew that my skill set would help people get better results. And that I am so passionate about fitness that it rubs off on most people that are around me because it's just what I love to do and I love helping people. And I And at this point, I know a decent amount about it and obviously now way more, but it's like, I knew I could impact the customer. So that's where Brad really locked on. He's like, okay, that's a piece no one else has. And they didn't. And so, um, that didn't start that way because we didn't have social media and all that initially. But yeah. So in April, 2008, I believe I get the first baggie of assault, no label, literally in a bag that Brad sent me. I take it. At that time, Gaspari pumped 250s real big. Yeah. Yes, and no explodes real big. DMM, DMAA is killing people or whatever. Jack 3D is killing it, <laughs> um, literally. And um, all that's going on. And he, you know, said, yo, you know, I want to do something that's more like athlete friendly, but still gives a pump, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. So I take it and I go straight to Serrano and I go. And he told me most of the formula. And I was, you know, really, he's Serrano was like, this is pretty, this is pretty legit. He's like, there's nothing out there, out there like this. I go, yeah, you're right. I go, I think I'm going to say, fuck it, go all in. He goes, you know this guy? I go, no, nah, I don't know him. Not really. So I literally, in April of 2008, become partners with Pyatt. Never met him in person. Read a little bit about him. Knew there's some shakiness here and there. But everything he was telling me, he was backing up. And I believed him. And he believed me. And I just said, fuck it. I'll be, let's, let's start this thing called muscle farm. And that that's literally, and then we had our first products in, um, September of 08, I believe it's all, it's been 15 years. So it's a little bit, but I, I believe that's when it started. You know what I mean? So 08 and we, you know, lightning in a bottle is probably an understatement after the first full calendar year. I think we do about a million bucks. So in, uh, be 19, but that's, you know, we started sponsoring the UFC, UFC 96, and so you got to remember, I'm still kind of personal training people and we're trying to grow this. Brad's labeling products himself that he's getting them delivered to his garage. I mean, it's real like, you know, 
grassroots. And I just remember telling my wife, I was like, for some reason, this feels right. Even though on paper, it makes no sense. I just, I just, I just thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain. It wasn't something he specifically said to me. The formula was good. I liked the product. I liked the idea of like trying to be my version of Bill Phillips. Like that was my idol, you know, cause of EAS and, and his too, I believe, cause he's from Denver. And, um, like I said, if you write all the pros and cons and what's possible out, I would say most people probably would have said, I'm good. <laughs> but for some reason, I said the opposite, Josh. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the business with the UFC being our, our main marketing source and then us doing content marketing really ahead of, I think, the entire industry with the stuff that I was able to produce to say it was yeah. a lightning rod was probably an understatement. Yeah, I want to I want to kind of I guess set the tone for a little a bunch of people because I was thinking about this like Muscle Farm today has a totally different like thought in people's brains, especially anybody that's probably not in their 30s like have a totally yeah. different thought of like what Muscle Farm is, but yeah. like that what kids talk about I guess today if you think about, you know, the hot brand or the sexy brand or whatever like Ghost, but you like mm -hmm. this is before this this yeah. was like you know, probably arguably I think maybe a bigger impact because you were working with less like tools, like the barriers to entry were much, um, I guess, arguably higher because you didn't have social media like it was. Mm -hmm. um, there was as much contract manufacturing, like the sales distribution, you had to go through old school retail. You didn't have, you didn't yeah. have like, you know, fire up your Shopify and get it going. So when you hear a number that Corey just said, like first year you did a million and that's like lightning in a bottle. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Like today, somebody might look at and say, ah, you know, I did 5 million on my Shopify site or, or something like yeah, that, yeah. but it's a, it's a totally different world, like a totally it's different, totally different. You know, Well, and I don't even think that was really lightning because that didn't feel lightning. But when we did it the first quarter of the following year, it sure did. That's where it got kind of weird because I was like, wait a second, we just did a million last year, which to me, you got to remember, I never made more than a hundred grand as a personal trainer. We do a million. I'm thinking like, holy shit. And then it goes a million Q1 and you're like, Ooh, okay. That's when shit. Then from that point on, it really was kind of lightning. Cause then we started to really catch some steam. So then like, I think I, I can't even remember the exact, but it was literally like quadrupled every year. It was like, we would do a, yeah. whatever number. And then the first quarter we'd almost reach it again. Yep. And it was like three years in a row like that. And I was just like thinking like, we do 20 million. I'm like, there's no way we're going to do 20 million Q1. And there you go. <laughs> So, you know, what's crazy is, and this is the way that I explain, we were, after we came out of the first two phases of branding, we were attempting to be the Nike of the space. Yeah. And I think we reached that with the athletes that we had, the things that we had going on, the endorsements. But here's my, my whole thing that I talk about with MP is I learned so much, dude, it's unbelievable. And my, I still have tons of contacts that of people I made relationships with then. But if you do 170 million, but you spend 180 million, is that successful? And 
So now I have a business that's direct to customer. It's more bottom line driven. I don't spend as much on marketing, right? It's such a different world, but we were really trying to be like a half a billion or a billion dollars. If yeah. you want to, every person I've talked to that has companies that have done shit like this, they, they're operating pretty similar, Josh. It's you're 50,000 away from losing it at times. You're, you're, you know, you got big distribution shit. That's good, bad, or indifferent. Even like the stuff that Jack's got going on right now. It's like, when you're pushing numbers that are crazy, it's really like, it's a roller fucking coaster to say the least. So, you know, I just wish this is my, my look back is like it grew and killed it. So, but I wish we had more talent around us from a finance standpoint that, that at the end of the day, we had talented guys in what the area that you worked in distribution stuff, the relationships were amazing. I think I was ahead of the game on the content stuff with bodymillion.com for sure. Cause I've still have businesses based from that to this day. But the reality is I never felt like we had the real finance guys that we had the real guys that understood that. And if we would have and should have, would have, could have, it probably would have been different, but also, and I really look back a guy that's a personal trainer that has no business experience excited besides he made a hundred grand. Brad had a little bit of a tattered pass from the NFL. Who's writing those checks in 2008 after shit crashes, bro? I mean, we were raising capital during yeah. one of the worst possible times of all time. And so considering we didn't die is amazing. But when I look back, I wish some of the people I've ran into as an older business guy, man, I'd be like, man, I wish I had that motherfucker back then. You know, but, but the things that I learned, I know what I need. I, I would know what to do exactly now. You know, Max Zephyr, which I'm really proud of, we've done extremely well to direct. If it would blow to $100 million, I'd know exactly what to do. I, I would know what I need. You know what I mean? Around me. And so those are things that that's the only way you learn. And if I don't go through those things, I'm not able to build even a close to what I got going on now. And it was an unbelievable process. And we impacted to your point that, that 30 age demo, that 25 to 35, we impacted a lot of athletes, coaches, people in the industry that come to me now at, in positions of power and say, yo, gee, like I did the get swole plan the whole time I was in college, bro. All I took was MP. You done also got me on the podcast and books. And like, I've got a lot of really interesting feedback on things I was pouring into people and didn't even realize it. Because I was just saying, like, I want to be different. I know I can impact people. I got these skills. I got this understanding. And I hope that then when they go to buy protein, they try mine. Th that was literally my whole approach. No, I, I think, like, you know, everything you're saying, I'm thinking about all the things that we did different and before they now have become such commonplace in, in the space. And you even talking about just, you know, the content marketing, just the, I guess, educational and entertainment angle that you took to giving that information and then having the tools like you know twitter or facebook or instagram that then amplified that and then you know just the use of some of the sponsorships or, or the people that we aligned ourselves with like ufc and the types of people we picked for like you know, quote unquote influencer marketing but it was like you know these athletes that you know we could have obviously went and and picked you know, a, a Jeter or some, something that had this like clean, you know, kind of look Ooh, or, or feel Dick to it. Cinco. But no, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, they didn't have the attention. They didn't have the buzz around yeah. them that like they could 
post something and then it became viral in a time when like things took oh. a lot more to get viral and it was like everything yeah. was you know thought about differently you know what i mean but i think it was um like i i made a comment about you, you said bang energy and, and i made a piece of content the other day about it and i said um you know it's always easier to play back you know some of the missing kind of business landmines that got stepped on after they get stepped on because it's easy to see them then but during that time a lot of that stuff was so inventive so different that you really were trying to you know piece together a bunch of things that were never seen in the market and then also like as you mentioned like when you're growing three or four hundred percent that's above and beyond what a you know profitable company can grow in CPG yeah. because like you don't have enough of margin. You're you're always playing this cash flow game where like it's a it's a struggle. And like when you're pushing so hard and you're doing things completely different, it's natural that you make you know mistakes when you play it back. But in my mind, anybody that ever like asked me, hey, you know, how were those days? And I say, I learned an immense amount of things. Like I can never take that away because if that I didn't have that experience, good, bad, ugly. I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't be who I am today and, and how I think about business and, and all of that was partially because of those experiences. Dude, you can't, you can't emulate, simulate, whatever, you, any of that unless you go through it. And so that's the thing, like, <clears throat> honestly, Josh, there were, it was such a whirlwind. I have so many fucking stories. Half the time I don't even remember them, but I'll bring them up from time to time with the younger dudes I work with now. And I'll be like, actually you know and i'll, I'll and they looking at me like damn gee like that shit it was just it was a fucking crazy you know what i mean and that but that's what i signed up for well i don't know if i knew that's what i was signing up for but that's what it became you know what i mean but the reality was that the people that were around during that time understand kind of the place and now that's why I'm kind of excited i keep telling my kids i'm about to get hot on tiktok now like i'm about to go on a second run right <laughs> pumping up the content. Things are a little different now, you know, business is set up a little different, but the reality is like, I also see the same thing I saw back in the day. People weren't super setting. There was a high amount of drugs in the industry, which that's always, but it was really prevalent. Um, you know, coming out of the eighties, early nineties and the early two thousands, I see the same shit going on on TikTok Now tons of guys talking about drugs, not talking about training. Like, I just think there's another window for a kid that's 17 18 19 that i can impact with this type of content teaching training stuff teaching supplementation there's as many guys as want to look up to those other guys i think there's just as many or hopefully they don't know yet that would look up to a person like myself that could give them the proper info and so i'm just going to replay the whole scenario again to a whole new demo group of, of kids and it, it's interesting but I think there's a huge opportunity for me to impact a bunch of people. I'm going to do this type of content for my whole life, man. It's what I do. Like you come to my compound. It's like the first 5,000 square feet old school gym. The back 10,000 is max effort, the studio content, the packing or like it's all here. So it's like, and it's five, 10 minutes from my crib. Like, this is what I do. This is my life. That's what I'm saying. Like, if I don't go through all that other stuff, I can't have my literally my like authentic, perfect scenario is what I have going on. So when people ask me about the MP versus max effort stuff, I'm like, look, MP uh, started one way and then end up trying to be Nike. And then, but when I started this brand, it was really max effort method is where I got the idea from. Like, this is really about lifting lifestyle, you know, having fun, authentic. Like 
I'm not trying to say one thing. So somebody thinks this or cause some investor think like, that's not really what I'm not doing all that. Like, this is just me take it or leave it. You fuck with me. You're going to get results, but I'm not showing you some hack that ain't about work. That's it. But I'm still showing it every day, bro. I mean, in the gym, out of the gym. So, you know, it's a uh, max effort can be anything. It can be lifestyle. It can be tennis. It can be lifting. It can be whatever, you know? So I think it has a good message. I think I got lucky. I got two brands that are cool. The first brand was cool. This brand is really cool. A uh, Cole who's sitting right beside me, which you can't see, he's working on his computer. We call him the graphic gangster. He got this thing looking fucking fire, bro. And, you know, people are locking onto the content. It's, it's, it's a long game, bro. Cause I don't, there's no, I'm not rushing to sell anything. I'm not rushing to not do it. I'm having fun with it. And if I look back, that other shit was so stressful, even though it worked really well. I think a lot of times we weren't having that much fun because we were so fucking stressed out. And I think there can be a lifestyle where you can make money, have fun, build a brand and not like hate yourself every day. And I don't know that I was like that all the time, but I'm just saying like it, my stress is way different now. It's a different vibe. You know what I mean? I'm older and a little bit wiser, but. But I like, I mean, you kind of jumped around what I was kind of wanted to mention around like your personal brand and why I think it's so attractive, uh, you know, regardless of, I think in fitness, sometimes there's this, I guess, point where people phase out um, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, because they're only thinking or only kind of building their personal brand around like their their body or or whatever that is or like a certain age range or whatever but i think like you know you have this mix of like i guess like midwestern authenticity which like to me is like not that flashy like coastal mentality of like let's try to show off all these different things it's it's about like hey i'm a father first you know i'm but i didn't give up on you know my fitness and health and wellness goals my entrepreneurship goals dreams all that kind of stuff like that which i think appeals to a ton of people i think that maybe they're not the loudest voices in the room a lot of times but i think for the most part like that's at least again maybe it's my bias being also you know a midwestern guy from ohio that like i think about you know as i grow older or, or even when i was younger like i thought about things differently in the sense of like i was thinking about family i was thinking about you know my success my you know trying to i guess like improve myself um, through whatever means necessary education wise like you said podcasts get people on, turned on to books or mindsets or like frameworks of how they can improve themselves and be more successful like and also mix that with the fitness side of like you know athleticism i think there's you know you have that aesthetic kind of feel to you and then also like strength which i think like all that encompassed together like is really i don't know it, it's a really great package together that I think that maybe is not, again, it's not the flashiest thing where like, you know, the people oh. that jump up and grab 20 million followers because they're doing a bunch of like crazy pranks or, or stupid stuff like that. But like you have a foundational longstanding personal brand that will, like you said, if you want to keep doing this for 20 years, people are going to be with you for 20 years. They, they find a lot of value in the perspective that you have. Well, I appreciate you saying that because sometimes and I know that's exactly the truth. I've, I've shared that with these guys. I'm like, because what I do is showing what it actually takes. And that's consistent mundane tasks that are difficult. And the ups and downs and persevering and working on yourself and going through my kids being in kindergarten when I'm at MP to now my AG's a graduating senior. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I've been building these businesses the whole time. He's been alive. 
And so like in trying to manage that, yeah, I used to work out at seven shit. Now I have to work out at four. If I still want to compete, I want to be competitive in the gym, meaning like still go to competitions. I want to build a business. I want to be dad, bro. I, I got that. That's just what time it ended up at because that's the only way it still happens. You know what I mean? And it's uninterrupted. And so I think like what I, what I quote unquote ask people to do when they follow my programs, do the things I do is difficult. So now when they engage, their results are insane and they don't just change their body. They change a little bit of everything. And I'm real prideful of that. So my following is quote unquote deep, right? That the people that really fuck with me, they super fuck with me. And I think that's why I've been able to build some longstanding things. And I'll tell you, I did notice this from some of the OGs in the industry. I had to non-compete the one year and I came back with the new company at the Arnold. Obviously I live in Columbus, so that's an easy one. I can drive downtown, but I had like Mike O'Hearn, a couple other like Eric Hillman, a couple other industry people like, okay, you're not just a one trick dude. Basically it was MP and you're out. It was like, you basically they kind of give me the nod after a couple of years. Like, Oh, you're not going nowhere. Like now nah, Brian going nowhere. This is what I do. And so, you know, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't, st I wouldn't have just done a bodybuilding show and a powerlifting meet in the same weekend this year at 40, you know, I was 43, I'm 44 now. Like I just like being put, I like pushing myself. I enjoy training and, and, and working with some of these younger people that keep me young. I just, I really, this is just what I do, man. And I can't really hide it or change it. Um, and what I'm trying to do is along the way, you know, build some quality businesses around my lifestyle that I think can benefit a lot of people. And I think it will stand the test of time because I think now it's shown that it's been, dude, I mean, I, I have never had another job since that first lady, Irene, paid me $20 in 1999. I've been paying my bills and building businesses in fitness my entire adult life. And, you know, so 24 years, 25 years, I mean, that's a long time. So proud of that for sure. You know, if it's if it was max effort muscle or if it was some other brand or whatever, I think that it's the the way that you approach everything that people now I think will not doubt. You know, and you look at it and you go, okay, this guy. You kind of mentioned this through the conversation, like this guy's been given a ton of value to a bunch of people for a long period of time, not necessarily asking for anything in return, just trying to provide as much education, much you know. Mm -hmm. Um, insights, a lot of that kind of stuff around, you know, fitness as long as they can, you know, you were really building, like, now they talk about this, like media company that sells X, like you were creating a ton of content. You were putting that stuff out there. You were also like, I guess, arguably building a community. I think before it was like, you know, you had that muscle, muscle farm prez type of thing. And you had to like, kind of like get past that. Now you back to like owning your own thing, but you have the, you have the app, you have all these other things where people are not necessarily it's you just talking to them like an audience it's like this community coming together that can help each other you built that with like the 4 a.m crew which like i always thought to myself not being like a morning dude i was like never understood it i was like who the fuck is this guy like trying to say like he works out at 4 a.m whatever and i'm like now i understand the, the older that i get and the more i guess like personal responsibilities you start to come like workouts do start to come earlier and earlier and earlier and then like eventually because if you want to balance, it's the only way to do it. You know what I mean? It's like what you got to do. But like, I think there's a lot of like what you have been doing for so long that is not ever necessarily going to go away. Like the, 
I guess the the medium of it, like you said, TikTok is hot now or, or whatever it is, like you can adapt your core to like whatever and be able to be successful. It's just like, I think anybody, uh, you know, sometimes when people do that next thing, they initially doubt them because they think, well, they were a one trick pony. Uh, it doesn't matter yep. like what, I think if it's a business person, if it's like, you know, an actor that was on this like, really successful show and then they think, you know, are they never going to make it or, you know, even like athletes or whatever. But like, I think it's natural, but I also think like that is probably something that drove you even further. Um, Especially like the guy like that sat you down and said, you're not going to be successful. Like telling you all these things, like you use that like as a chip on your shoulder, like you got Jordan in your background. It's like you use these things as enemies to like, you know, propel yourself even further. So I got a couple great ones that you'll love. You know, I had multiple investor meetings and MP days where, you know, this is when the Get Swole plans got 28 million page views. We're selling $5 million in just that stack alone. Like the the interaction on my Twitter is like basically the customer service for MP at that point. I mean, mm-hmm. it is banging, Josh, right? Yeah. I'm so fucking busy. I can't. And, you know, and I got some fucking guy sitting in the, in the office that's wanting to maybe invest, whatever. And he's like, they get to me because it's like operations, you know, Brad talks to whatever. He goes, so you're just uh, tweeting and working out, right? I was like, yeah. I mean, I could have fucking killed the guy. And, and uh, But I never forgot it because I was like, all right, that's the perception of what this guy, you know. I was like, okay. And then there's a few other instances like that. And I started to think, like, I don't think these people really realize, like, I understand exactly what I'm doing. And to such a degree that I went and built three other seven figure businesses from scratch since I've done that. You know what I mean? Like, so if I was able to understand, like, I don't know if I didn't maybe speak up enough about the things that I was doing very strategically or whatever, but there was like, I definitely have a chip on my shoulder for academic people thinking I'm like a dumb muscle head that just understands social media. I understand it, but I also understand business. I'm like a real business dude. And like in a lot of my circles, the weightlifters that uh, have some pop, they come to me trying to learn business from me because they saw what I did then. They've seen what I've done now and they respect the business knowledge, right? And I don't have some, you know, I had some some kid from fucking Cornell interviewed me one time and his last question was, would you trade the first 10 years experience for my Cornell degree, I started fucking laughing. I was like, dude, not a fucking chance. Are you kidding me? That fucking paper ain't getting you no money. You might be able to get a job with it, but like from what I went through in the first 10 years of my business career, get the fuck out of here. So it's one of those things where it's, uh, it, it's just morphed so many different ways over time, but it's been such a, a non-dull unbelievable fucking path and craziness but if it's all rooted in having a chip on my shoulder applying hard work i learned early not being able to just stay with what the norm was in my family trying to do what i love to do and just realizing that if i keep betting on myself and i stay authentic and i stay consistent which is probably the best thing my entire career that i've done reggie young who taught me how to personal train was a very inconsistent individual so every time he would jump gym to gym, guess where the clients would come? They would come to me because they knew where Corey was because I was there the year before that. I was there the next year. And so over time, as Reggie kept doing what he was doing and this other guy kept doing, the clients would come to me. 
And I really believe that, yeah, somebody might try a different pre-workout from time to time, but they're going to come right back because they know Corey's going to be there. Corey's going to be up tomorrow morning. Like, it's not a negotiable, like, I don't negotiate with myself whether I work out today or not. I just do. Same thing with the content. I'm not always the most, when I'm working on numbers and doing things, I'm not always the most bright content guy. You know what I mean? Because I'm trying to balance those worlds of being a CEO and also trying to be like a positive, like content dude. So sometimes I'm not always the, amazing at that. But in block, I'll try to do blocks of time where I know I'm I'm hot and I can kill it and we'll knock it out. But it's like trying to balance all those worlds, man. But it's uh yeah, it's been it's been interesting. And I, I it's I think that there's room for it ongoing. It's just never gonna grab 20 million views today. It's just gonna be a slow burn like the rest of it's been. You know what I mean? So I think that's a great point to end on, Corey. I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate all the Fine. stories you shared. I think it's, a, it was a great kind of conversation. So I appreciate it. Super proud of you, dude. You've been killing it. Uh, you know, if I'm like, I was watching your videos before the one I watched this morning, but I've been paying attention to what you, what you got going on. And I, I want to compliment you too, Josh. Like, I think a lot of the times you caught some slack back in the day because some of the things that you were saying were right. All right. And I don't know one specific thing, but I just remember like, you were trying opinions that you probably, even though you were young in the game, so I think maybe people weren't taking you as serious as they should have been. But if I think back about how I think about our interactions, which were always super positive because we're, you know, we're both from Ohio and stuff, but like maybe how you were perceived is that, you know, was not proper in my opinion. And so I think that you had a lot more to offer. You just maybe weren't because you were so, you were so new that people weren't giving you that chance. So I don't know if you felt that way or not, but I wanted to voice that because if I just thought about like, what's one thing that, you know, I'd share with Josh that maybe I haven't told him before. I think that's one of those things. No, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, I think that that's something that's always been, you know, in my mind, it's something that I don't necessarily voice, you know, outwardly or, or whatever. Um, but just like you, I mean, it's a matter of, I, I think that time, I think in the last 10 years doing consulting and having this you know, arguably very good kind of resume in terms of some of the yeah. ideas that have come out and, and worked really well. I think it's one of those things where I've also kind of used a little bit of that to say like, hey, like this is that kind of my chip on the shoulder. Can I prove, you know, some of that stuff wrong? Yeah. Not that, you know, like yeah. I've ever kind of voiced it until today. Uh, but uh, yeah. no, I do. I, I appreciate you saying that, Corey. Yeah. So that was like my, you know, uh, other than when I'm seeing your stuff and I'm like, and I'm like, you know what? I'm guessing he probably felt that way, but I think I should share that with him just to let him know that's what I think. So, all right, buddy. I appreciate the time. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 